welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. So you find your place in Acts chapter 10, just a couple more things. I can't wait till Jeff Rogan gets back and takes a little bit of that load on the announcements. I, I know pastors only work one day a week, but it's been, been a long week. A uh, <laughs> uh, couple more things. Uh, we have some, some people interested in orientation. We're planning orientation for those who are potentially considering membership on the 22nd and 29th of this month, it's a two-part. If you're interested in that, let me know. Also, there will be a baptism on one of those two days. The person who is asked to be baptized says he can do it either one. And uh, so if you're interested as well, we could accommodate you probably the 29th if no one else comes up. But let me know if you're interested in baptism as well. I hope you haven't eaten yet this morning. Because as we open our Bibles to Acts chapter 10 and verse 9, we are going to take a huge bite out of Scripture today. Uh, boy, this, this is a massive passage, including a vision full of symbolism. Yet we're not going to need to dig very deep to discover the meaning of the symbols because Peter himself presides, uh, provides us with an interpretation of his vision. Uh, in verse 28, Peter will state with, with clarity, uh, God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. So, Scripture interprets the vision of the sheet a sheet that is filled with all kinds, note that, all kinds of creatures. All kinds probably refers to both clean and unclean creatures mixed together. And the underlying principle is going to be that Peter is no longer to discriminate between people. Well, why? Because during the first 10 years following Pentecost, or approximately this period of 10 years and 10 chapters, during the first 10 years following Pentecost, the early church always had discriminated. How is that, you ask? Well, you probably recall from last Sunday how we have discovered that previous to Acts chapter 10, the church had continued to assume like under the Old Covenant, ethnic Jews remained a preferred people of God. Meanwhile, Gentiles, or just non-Jews, who were not descendants of Abraham under the Old Covenant, were still unclean, they're, they're yucky. And therefore, every believer added to the church up until this point was either Jewish by birth or had converted to Judaism. That's called a proselyte. And the gospel went to the Jew first. Oh, but Peter's vision today is going to reveal that it is going to the Greek also. Praise God. Hallelujah for that. Because at the cross, when the new covenant was ratified through the blood of Christ... Everything changed. 
The old covenant passed away. Our scripture reading earlier called it obsolete. In fact, our scripture readings, Acts chapter, Hebrews chapter 8, uh, assure us that, that with the advent of the new, the old is passing away, it's obsolete, and, and it causes a domino of consequences. Uh, one of them is like, uh, I'll go ahead and uh, dig into those shrimp and grill them. You can go ahead and do that. Do you know that Forrest's best friend Bubba? He described 21 different ways to prepare shrimp. Coconut shrimp and pineapple shrimp and shrimp burgers. and Yeah, go ahead, dig in. All of those ceremonial ordinances under the old covenant, and they were designed by God at Sinai to, to keep the Jews separate from the Gentiles until the, the Messiah was born, keep a pure Hebrew heritage until the Messiah who was promised to come from the Hebrews had come. Um, now all those old ordinances, they're obsolete, ceremonial, of course. Consequently, this is the consequence. Jews and Gentiles can now fellowship together. They can eat together, ensuring there no longer exists any unclean foods. We worship together in the same temple. Not one in Jerusalem, but a temple of Christ, the body of Christ. And with the dawning of the new covenant, Ephesians chapter 2, probably going to be our scripture reading next week. Every partition and dividing wall between Jew and Gentile has been completely removed in Christ. Folks, Scripture unveils a huge problem for those who wish to suppose that Jews still have access to God through the Old Covenant. They do not today, nor will they ever again in the future. It's obsolete, folks. Jews can no longer approach the throne of God through the blood of bulls and goats that can never take away sin. Nor, nor any other alternate sacrifice prescribed under the Old Covenant. Jesus, the perfect and sinless Lamb of God, offered His own body as a sinless sacrifice. One sacrifice for sins for all time. Then He sat down at the right hand of God. It was finished. Atonement for sins and reconciliation to God is now available only through Him. You know, there's movements out there and there's so much confusion. I, I'm sorry, but it just has to be clarified. My wife was watching television this last week. Uh, uh, she had to go out of town for a trip and she's sitting there in the motel and she clicks on a popular Christian television station. Um, the people there were wanting to rebuild the Jerusalem temple, breed the perfect red heifer without any spots, you know. Such folks were, were urging Christians to jump on board. Give us your money to do this. Do this. this is why it's real life. It's real time. Give your money to this, to restore these things. And people who jump on board with that, they are completely wasting their time. 
In fact, it is an offense to the Father to pursue any other sacrifice than the Son. That letter we read earlier titled, To the Hebrews. Think about that for a minute. To the Hebrew people. Insists that the Jewish race has been offered Jesus and a new covenant promised long ago through the prophets. And there is no returning to the old. And under the new covenant, Jews and Gentiles enjoy the one and same access to God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ, His Son. Uh, Within the blessed church, the bride of Christ, God no longer makes any distinction. That's that's a bell we're going to ring loud and hard next Sunday. uh, Because there is so much misunderstanding today, and it has detrimental effects. You know, after I first came to faith, my initial exposure to theology was a tradition uh, which proposed, even today, the tradition proposed, that the new covenant for the Jew still has not been ratified for them yet. Uh, It is taught that they are still waiting for the new covenant. In fact, I was taught ethnic Jews will not get introduced to the new covenant until the day of the Lord when Christ returns. Then it is supposed they're going to get a second chance after the church is gone. Tragically, that day of the Lord will be too late for the Jews. It'll be too late for you if you've not trusted in Christ. And that faulty suggestion that Jews have not yet experienced the new covenant rejects all scriptural reality. Because clearly we have found that since the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, up until chapter 10 of Acts, all the new covenant has applied to thus far is Jews. How how can you possibly say the Jews haven't been offered the new covenant? Surely the Hebrews, the Jews, have received the new covenant, concludes the letter to the Hebrews. And the reality is, reality is that we Gentiles are grafted into, that's Romans eleven seventeen. 17. We, we are grafted into what is described as the rich root of Christ. And we Gentiles have been joined to the believing remnant of Israel in Christ's church. It's not all of the Jews who will believe, remember. Only a remnant has ever believed in the Jews, and we are joined to them in Christ's church, becoming one body. And by faith, Romans 4 verse 9, we have all, both circumcised, uncircumcised, doesn't matter, we have all become children of Abraham through faith. Gentiles have not replaced the Jews in the church. We have joined the Jews in the church. Folks, there's only one church. There's only one bride. There exists no messianic church for ethnic Jews that meets over here. Those who observe dietary restrictions and and, and other ordinances of the law that, that worship separately from the Gentiles... 
Boy, that outdated dividing wall between Jew and Gentile has been removed. By the way, we're not given any permission to erect it again. The old covenant has passed away and has been extinct now for almost 2,000 years. That is a reality that was first revealed to Peter in our passage that we will read today. Chapter 10 of Acts, verse 9. If you remember, at the command of the angel, uh, Cornelius, who is a Gentile, has dispatched faithful men from Caesarea who are traveling 35 miles south to Joppa to find a man called Simon Peter. And in verse 9, on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, uh, Peter went up on a housetop about the sixth hour to pray, But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky open up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by the four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, have I ever eaten anything. Uh, I've never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came a second time to him and said, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, The men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate, and calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the man and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come to me? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to this house, to his house, and, and hear a message from you. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them. And some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up saying, stand up, I too am just a man. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. This is Peter now. And Peter said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. This is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I asked, for what reason you have sent for me? Cornelius said, Four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, 
And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. It's the angel. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. And your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, Cornelius says, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So what we have is a house. It's likely with a large courtyard outside of the house. Um, filled with Gentiles. It's a large number there, Peter found. Just, just waiting, prepared to listen and receive the gospel. Is this a scene of, or a product of time, space, and chance? No. No, of course not. As some actually describe this passage uh, that will be coming up next week, they, they describe it as like a, like a Gentile Pentecost, in a way. Reflective. Of Pentecost. The entire scene, beginning to end, is orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. As we departed last week, we left recognizing that in verses 1 through 8, God does not award Cornelius salvation because he'd prayed or given alms, uh, nor is it due to his prominent position as a centurion, nor of uh, because of his moral excellence. Yeah, there, there exist many moral people who do not recognize they are sinners in need of Christ. Cornelius had been devout. He'd begun praying to God because the Holy Spirit had convicted his heart of sin. Therefore, he was seeking a resolution for his sin. Remember, The angel told Cornelius, verse 31, your prayer has been heard. Send therefore for a man, Peter, verse 32, and Peter is dispatched with God's reply to Cornelius' prayers. And since forgiveness of sins in Christ is the answer next week, we somewhat know the content of Cornelius' prayers. The answer is Christ and forgiveness of sins. What's he praying for? And during a period of exposure we discovered last week to the Jews and to the law, Cornelius had been convicted by the Spirit that he, his families, uh, his family and his friends, uh, they'd, they'd all sin and fall short of the glory of God. He must have concluded You know, even if he, as a Gentile, even if Cornelius were to forsake his uh, Gentileness and convert to Judaism, he still could never keep the law. Because no one has ever awarded salvation for keeping the law. Galatians 3.23, it was one of our memory verses from the last couple weeks, I started cutting mine out from the bulletin, laminating them so I can bring them back as flashcards. Keep them in my mind, not just in an app. Um, 
No, that 323 reveals that the law has become a tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. This is what's been going on in the background concerning Cornelius, uh, his household leading up to Peter's visit. The Holy Spirit has convicted Cornelius, his family, his friends, his subordinates, his whole household of sin. Cornelius has therefore found himself compelled to pray and ask God, you know, how is it possible for sinful men, even Gentiles, how is it possible to be righteous? We can never keep your law completely. How can we be righteous? He prayed. Have you ever prayed to God and asked him how you can be made righteous? Now and again, not recently, so this isn't a recent story, but now and again, I'll be approached by a person whose, whose life is in shambles, where sin has decimated his or her finances, career, family, health, and for like the 30th time. And like a broken record repeats itself, uh, they come and confess, you know, my, my life is screwed up. Pastor, please pray for me. You know, people actually think that pastors keep a red phone in our office. I will indeed pray for you. But have you ever prayed for you? From watching patterns repeat over the years, I'm greatly persuaded that much of the sinful trauma that besets men, women, and families is a failure to do what Cornelius has done. And if you are sincere, if you're true in your brokenness, folks, God will pick up the call. First John chapter 1 and verse 9 is written, it's written in the, recorded in the first person plural, uh, but it is intended to be applied in the second person. So I will read it that way. If you go back and look later, you'll know why. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The Apostle Paul, he's crystal clear. There is one mediator between God and man. And it ain't me. It is the man, Christ Jesus. Call out to him. You know the idea of confessing, it's been around for centuries. But the idea of confessing sins to men, it's naive. It's naive. Christ is the one mediator. If you confess to someone, it should be those who you have offended if you've done wrong. That's, that's seen in James chapter 5, verse 16. That, that is for 
uh, restoration, just confess owning up for the purpose of being restored. Or you'd better be pretty extremely confident of the person to whom you are confessing before. Or it could just come back to haunt you. I've seen that happen. Sinful confessions can leak through gossip. They can change people's lives. And they can change people's perceptions of you forever. I'm not to confess to you except for a sin that I've committed against you, seeking restoration with you. Like Cornelius, I confess my sins to God. And Christ mediates by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and he replies through his word. Here in this case, Peter brings the word. There's the reply. The New Testament isn't written yet. So Peter Peter brings the word. You know, do you remember, oh, I'm dating myself again. Do you remember the party lines of the 70s? If you're under age 50, Holmes used to share a common phone line with neighbors. Yeah, believe it. It's true. Calling out, you were very careful about what you might confess because you weren't sure of the character of everyone who might be listening. And you aren't sure how far it may travel. You know, in the, in the pastoral counseling role, I've had both men and women confess things to me that nobody needs to know. I'll take it to my grave. For one man in particular, that's from many years past. The nature of his sin was so grave. It wasn't criminal, but it was so grave. But had word leaked through gossip in people's minds, it would have left him permanently marred in his reputation. Would have been stained in the church permanently. Same concern exists for young ladies and everyone. There is a time for either pastoral counseling or professional licensed counseling. There's a time for that. But most of the time, people simply need to know What you need is restoration to God through Christ. Safeguard your reputation among sinful men. Like Cornelius, you already have a bat phone. It's not a party line, it's a direct line, a private line to heaven. Confess your sins to God and He hears you. And He answers you. And in some capacity, Cornelius has prayed, Oh Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And through an angel of God, our Lord replies, I know, but at least you're not as bad as your cousin Ralph. Oh wait, that's not what it says. No, he says, I have an answer for you. And it's coming from a man named Simon Peter. And since Cornelius and cousin Ralph went to college together, Cornelius calls up his cousin. 
And he says, load up your family, get them in the minivan. Y'all get over here. Some guy named Peter is going to tell us what we're supposed to do. In the meantime, while all of this is occurring in the background, Peter receives that vision from God in verse 11. He saw the sky opened up and uh, an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by the four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, oh, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, and of course, we know a third. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Well, so you're hungry, Peter? Pick something up. Eat. And since, as I said earlier, since all kinds of animals are present in the vision, uh, there probably are foods that are clean in the vision to eat. But under the law, had from a sheet... From four corners had all of those things pillowed in the center, the middle of the sheet, they would have all been cross-contaminated. You know, it's like the carrots on your plate that mingle with the potatoes. It's just disgusting. (laughs) Makes nothing on the plate look good anymore. No, by no means. I'm not touching that plate. That's why those plates, the styrofoam ones, have a divider in them. That, that is a fact. So Peter says, no, no, that, that mixing together, that mixing together is bad. And it leaves nothing in there clean anymore if there's a mixture. And of course, for Peter, every lesson always needs to be repeated three times. <laughs> hey, we're all slow learners. And Peter clearly wasn't listening close to Jesus' lesson given in Mark 7, where Christ declared, It is only what proceeds out of the heart of man that defiles a man. And there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. And when asked for clarification from his disciples, Jesus answered, Are you so lacking in understanding? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus, Jesus declared all foods clean. Now, the Greek word there declared, katharizo. It's a peculiar religious term, and it means ritually and ceremonial ceremonially clean. It's just not talking about washing them off in the strainer in the sink to make them clean. No, these foods are all ritually clean. And this is Jesus before even hanging on the cross saying foods are now clean, all of them. Now, not all, ta- not all taste good. No question about that. But all are acceptable for consumption. So even before Calvary, the ceremonial elements of the law are disappearing. The shadow is passing away. 
you might ask, it's like, well, well, isn't then Christ breaking the law? Not at all. Not at all. He who himself is the lawgiver, he can do that. What Christ, being God in the flesh, cannot do, he cannot sin. But God, who is the source of the law, can alter the law. You not make changes in your house? Your kids say, you can't do that. You're like, I'm the dad. I'll do whatever I want to do. The idea is similar when accused of violating the Sabbath. Jesus replied, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And as he was accused of breaking the Sabbath, it's like, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I can't violate that which I'm Lord of. You tell your children, I'm the dad. I'm the mom. You don't drive things around here. We're going to church this morning. Dietary restrictions are completely removed today. Completely. We're no longer under the old covenant. Uh, God's covenant has changed. It's a new covenant. In Christ, all of us are under it. Jew and Gentile, both together. There is no difference, which we will learn next Sunday. And we can come together. We can eat together. This is why the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 2 verse 16, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Uh, Don't ever let anyone manipulate you into observing dietary restrictions. Except maybe your heart doctor. The religious sects that direct people toward the old covenant, which is obsolete, observing dietary restrictions and kosher meals, they are in violation of the truth of the gospel. Those groups separate people. They don't bring them together. They divide again into classes according to what people eat and according to what people drink and usually according to what people wear and on what day of the week they worship. They're usually Sabbatarians, but all foods are clean. Even more importantly, infinitely more important, Peter understands this vision means all men are considered clean. That's the point of the illustration. That's the interpretation by Peter. Therefore, Peter tells Cornelius, you know, according to Judaism, of what was, I shouldn't even be in your house. Verse 28, But God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. This is where we're going to kind of wind down here. Because we'll continue the discussion of the relationship between Jew and Gentile next Sunday. But before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, uh, does Peter's statement mean 
No men remain separated from God as sinful or live profane lives. Shake your head no. No. Does Peter's statement suggest universal salvation? All men are acceptable to God and he loves you just as you are. That statement is distorted sometimes to suggest that. But absolutely not. You can't reconcile that with other clear statements in the Bible. Rather, Peter's vision and the application of our passage reveals that Christians like Peter are no longer to discriminate against certain people by classifying them as unclean and unreachable with the gospel. Under the new covenant, all the nations of the earth are blessed. All nations and all peoples and all tongues and tribes are included under the, old, or under the new covenant. Therefore, we are never allowed to decide Well, God would never want them. That was the previous thinking with the Jews. That's what they'd been trained up in for centuries. It's not really, it's not for the Gentiles. They didn't understand the expanse of the new covenant. A complimentary passage found in 1 Timothy chapter 2 seems to suggest the early church may have been making the mistake of concluding, you know, that that kings and men who are in high positions of authority, you know, they're, they're all corrupted to the point that they cannot possibly be saved. The early church was made up of mostly poor people, very poor, by the way, not poor on our standards, very poor. They may have been classifying government leaders as too rich, too powerful, too corrupt. Oh, God would never want that person. An image just popped in your mind. And as some Christians do today, uh, they're saying that people in power, they're, they're too dirty, too unclean, can't possibly be saved. Remember, Nero was probably the, the ruler at the time Paul made that statement, 1 Timothy 2, or someone a lot like him. Oh, people might be concluded, oh, God wouldn't want them. Oh, so wrong, so wrong. We can't make that conclusion. We don't get to make that determination. The application Paul prescribes for the church is that we are never to dismiss such people, but rather we are to pray for such people that they are to be saved. Why? Because as finite men and finite women... We're not all-knowing. We're not omniscient. We don't know everything God is doing in the heart. And our approach then, or our, mar- our marching orders as a church, is God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And some incorrectly conclude that this means that God's not sovereign in election. God does not choose, they will conclude from that. But that is not what the rest of the Bible teaches. And that is not what 1 Timothy chapter 2 in that passage means. God does not discharge his sovereign providence and election 
It does not mean that he does not choose. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 means exactly what the sheet dropping down to Peter means. We do not choose. So the application that Peter immediately grasps grasps is this. I guess this vision means, boy, I guess God desires all men to be saved. And I guess under the new covenant, God is choosing to redeem people from the Gentiles too. And among prostitutes and homosexuals and murderers and idolaters and fornicators and drunkards and thieves and swindlers and liars. You ready? And such were some of you. But 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11 says that even you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. And someone brought the gospel to you. Do you want a one-sentence summary of this startling vision and giant passage that we just swallowed? Peter gives it the very last part of verse 28. Look there now. Here it is. God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Father, as we pray, the awe of gratitude uh, immerses us, overwhelms us. What a great and gracious God you've been to bring us together as one people coming from all different places and backgrounds. And yet this was your plan all along. We're grateful to be part of it. We're grateful that that Christ was sinless in every perfect way that He, Your Son, took upon our sins in His body on the cross that we might die to sin and live for the righteousness through which we will be healed. Father, thank You for Christ's righteousness. Thank You for all of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.